the most important question I had to address for myself was how do I want to invest my life? Yeah. So not just how do I want to invest my money, but I realized that the, the most valuable asset that I had was, was this life, which was finite. And um, I had to consider, so how do I want to invest my life? Hi, Malcolm. How are you? I'm super. Thanks, Anneli. To start off with, I would just, yeah, really interested to find a, a fun fact about you. So I know that you've traveled uh, many different parts of the world, seen many different people, been exposed to different cultures and cuisines. As someone who's still very much looking forward to seeing the globe as a whole, what would you say has been your most exciting experience having visited all those different countries? Like if you had to pick one up, what would it be? Well, first of all, <clears throat> the one fun or interesting fact is that I'm based in Ireland. So uh, right now I'm in the, the green fields of Ireland out on the western extremity of Europe. This is an interesting place to, uh, to be born and to grow up. And my family was based here. And it's a really interesting place to, to live, but to travel out of. I've, I've had the privilege. So I ran a business here in, in Ireland, uh, but I, I also had the privilege to travel um, a lot. Uh, then a, a lot into the, let's say, the developing world. And Ireland is a great place to do that from because we're not, we're not a big country. And, mm. you know, many places that I went to, they couldn't believe that my country is so small and, <laughs> and kind of insignificant and mm. in, in some ways insignificant. You know, I think Ireland's been a really interesting country over the, over the years, its, it's history. And yeah. its impact on the world, actually, I think we have, we've probably punched above our weight. Um, <laughs> but we're a small place and that is a, has actually quite an advantage so that many places that we go to, the size of Ireland is smaller than the cities that I'm, that I'm visiting. And it, in some ways, then, you're not a threat. You know, you, you're not some kind of representing some colonial power that, that is, is being used to, you know, going kind of influentially around the world. So yes. Ireland's quite a cool, it's quite a cool place to be based, you know, coming from, from where I am in the north of Ireland. And Ireland as a whole, we're, it's not that many decades ago that, that Ireland was, you know, very largely a, uh, a developing nation, you know, racked with conflict, poverty. Yeah. So we, we kind of know something about what it's like to be a, a frontier nation and, and frontier communities. And, and we're still very much, you know, trying to learn how to, to live with conflict and all of that. So mm. I think that probably has given us a bit of an understanding to some degree and a, an empathy with some of the problems that the nations face that, that we go to visit. Have, having been a lot of places the things that's the thing that stands out the most transformation that i've seen happening in individual lives mm -hmm. and that's the bit that that excites me the most um to watch what happens when individuals and my, my passion from i was a teenager was to work with young people nice. um and in, in some way or other i i probably spent most of my life finding a way to to do things that could impact on young people and with young people. But I, I've always had a real passion to see young people reach their full potential. Yeah. 
And I realized that so many young people haven't had the chance to do that because of the, the circumstances that they were that they were born into. And I, I saw that often as the kind of the soil that the seed tried to come up out of. Yeah. And I saw so often that the growth was so limited according to the type of soil, you know, the, the opportunity to grow, and, you know, the, the nurturing and all of that stuff. And I'd say by far the thing that's been exciting is to watch how young people particularly can flourish um, when they have the, the opportunity to, to, you know, to really, to really fly. And uh, I think that, that potential, the potential in people is, is pretty evenly spread. I mm-hmm. think that the, the, the opportunity to, to realize that potential is very unevenly spread. <clears throat> and so I, I think I've been most excited to watch, particularly young people coming from really difficult beginnings in their families or you know maybe the lack of a family completely to, to see how given the opportunity they could fly and that that stands out by miles so malcolm i was just listening to your your response now and you said that you have been doing this this has been your, your drive and your passion since you were at a very young age wanting to see people uh, grow that seed inside them even though they come from uh, difficult backgrounds I just wanted to know yeah. like, what was that initial seed in your in your heart and your in your values or drive that that led you to to, mm. to have so many years of experience in, in, in trying to develop frontier markets working in that space. What was that drive to develop Angela to found Angela to direct Angela as well? What was that that seed that grew inside of you that wanted to see those those frontier markets and communities grow? Oh, it's a it's a great question. Um, my business was in the investment industry. So our business, we were financial advisors, wealth managers, and investment managers. So we, we managed investment portfolios for high net worth clients. And that, that was our business. So we, we were talking about investment a lot with our clients. And if we're going to guide people about their money, we have to understand what's important to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what are their, yeah, what burns in them and, what drives their their decisions and that was all to do with how they invested money and i think that i i, I had the benefit of growing up in a, in a family where faith was important and and the challenge of life is more than than just about you know the here and now and um I had to, I guess that gave me the advantage of, of having great role models of how to, how to do life. And one of the, the big questions that I, I therefore was challenged to, to address very early in my career when I was you know, growing a business that was being successful. And I had the, the privilege of talking to lots of my clients who were a lot older, you know, looking back, reflecting over their lives and so forth. <clears throat> and I, I realized that before I finished my 30s, that the most important question I had to address for myself was, how do I want to invest my life? Yeah. So not just how do I want to invest my money, but I realized that the, the most valuable asset that I had was, was this life, which was finite. Mm. And um, I had to consider, how do I want to invest my life? What, 
And we always often ask our clients this in their financial planning. <clears throat> we ask them to try to imagine that they were, we kind of showed them this line of, you know, to, to depict their lives when you're 20 years old, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. And we tried to you know, say to our clients, you say somebody's 35 years old. Mm. We tried to say, imagine, imagine when you are 80 years old or 85 years old and you're looking back over the course of your life, right? So it's kind of a journey of imagination. Yeah. Yes. So it's like, imagine you're 85 and you're looking back over what you've done with your life. So you've made the investment of your life and you're looking back over how you invested it. I had this great opportunity very early to say to myself, so what, what would be a good investment of life? How do I want to look back and say, no regrets, that was a good investment. And, um, and having a, being grounded in, in faith, Christian faith was a really, that gave me a great kind of set of guidelines to, to, to look at what would a good investment look like. And therefore I was very inspired by, you know, various parts of the Bible that, that guided on what a good investment would look like. Yeah. And, and that was never about personal wealth or personal. It was more about how can, you, how can you give away your life? Because through that comes multiplication. So for me, it was kind of very early on. I, I decided that I, I wanted to invest my life well and therefore uh, being concerned about the things that, that I felt God was concerned about then that was a good and that would be a good investment of life so that that inspired me from from pretty early on and um so i wanted to to to, to build a, a really excellent business that could be a great service to our clients and uh to to be really a positive influence in the business community but the, the business also gave me a platform then to to go and be involved in other types of projects um, first in inner city Belfast where I was where I was living and then out around the world and the business gave me that platform both in terms of having money you know our profits to to put into great projects invest into other people's lives mm -hmm. and it gave me the freedom to 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 go travel and and, and also be involved so um, yeah that's that's kind of what what inspired me, it really was about how do I want to invest my life and evaluating the different options for that and, and watching what other people had done with, with their lives and seeing that actually living to accumulate wealth was hardly ever particularly satisfying. Mark, just, just thinking about, obviously, your, your passion for working with people in, in, in growing communities, seeing how they how their lives and trajectory go from from having been in those in those circumstances and then and then propelling to actually realize their full potential my question is now is from from your experiences what has been the most thing that communities require to actually to actually grow those those markets and those frontier those communities for them to have those experiences to have those those opportunities to be able to to go from their current circumstances and to be able to grow and branch out and, and realize their what is actually required to help the people in those in those situations? I mean, I, I grew up in a generation that that if, for example, if, if if you cared about poverty, 
then <clears throat> you went with a, a kind of aid mentality of with a kind of savior mentality um, mm -hmm. going from the West into the developing world and and bringing bringing solutions. You know, so I I cared about about people who had no hope, no opportunity, and I wanted to go and. I wanted to go and fix it. I wanted to go and do something about it, um, which you know wasn't altogether <clears throat> a bad thing. But I kind of went with my solutions. It was like, yeah, I understand what you need. Let's figure out some strategies. Let's gather the resources and go and go and start stuff that 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 we were driving. So, you know, right from early on, I was I was going into first into Eastern Europe, actually, just after the fall of, of communism. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the first places I went to was Ukraine. Uh, and I was in, in Ukraine many times um, helping to 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 build projects there for children and young people. But it was very much the aid model. It was the a lot of drive from the West, the, the resources, the money, the it, it was like emergency intervention as aid, and, and it, it has its place, you know, as, as emergency intervention. But the, the aid model um, through, let's say, not-for-profit activity yeah. was, the, was the only strategy that, that we understood. And so we, we brought the solutions, and, and many times, in many ways, the partners that we had um, in, in various countries <clears throat> were operators, you know, we were the drive, they were the operators. We ran not-for-profit type activities. So we did a lot of work with street kids. And I really cared about that stuff. Like I, I cared about it deeply. I really wanted to see how do we do as much as possible to help pick kids up off the street yeah. and, and give them, you know, a, a, a day center to come to day by day to be fed to be loved to you know get in off the street and so it was a pretty typical not-for-profit type model and I thought that was the the right way to do it and we tried to scale that as much as possible and we you know used the profits from our business and other people's businesses and yeah we, we kind of drove that kind of strategy and that was okay for a while and then I I began to to realize so I, I just had this kind of like double life of where in one part of my life I I drove a business we made profit we made investments you know through our business and and if that was successful then we took the overflow from our profits as donations and we took the donations to the, the two-thirds of the world that yeah you know that wasn't wasn't doing business and wasn't doing investment we took donations okay. and people like me went from this part of the world with our donated money and went into this part of the world and ran charities. So I kind of had this double life of here. I was a business and investment professional here. I was a charity worker. But I remember very clearly being in Moldova in out in Eastern Europe, one of the poorest countries in, on the fringes of Europe, where we were running a lot of these programs for street kids. And we visited one of the, the day centers that where like 25, 30 kids were coming in, getting fed and all of that. And there was a little girl um, called Esther and I'd watched her. I had a privilege of visiting these places. So I watched her and she was just so bright and she had an amazing light in her eyes and, mm -hmm. and a smile. And I just kind of watched her in this group of kids and she was playing and all of that. And um, 
it came time for the kids all to go home and we got back in the car to go back to the city. And as we were, as we were driving away, <laughs> these stories still make me cry. As we were driving away, um, Esther was sitting on the side of the street, the side of the road. And it was dark, it was cold, it was wet. And she was sitting there. And I said to one of the people we'd been working with, why is Esther not going home? Yeah. And she said, Esther, does, Esther doesn't have any home to go to. And if she did find one of her parents, she's just going home to abuse. And uh, it was like a, it was like a light young kind of thought. These charity projects are okay, but they're not enough. You know, if I, if I care about these kind of kids, what they really need is is a parent, yeah, with a job, who is at home. And that was like a, you know, it was like so. A big realization, yeah. It was. It was. And, you know, it was like it was like I would call it a God moment of. Yeah. Uh, you're just looking at this the wrong way. It's you're you're too limited in, in how you're thinking, and and the, the challenge of, of God to me at that time was, if you really care about these kids, it has to be about job creation for for adults so that they that families stay together and and kids have a have a better environment to grow up in to keep going to school and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it's continuous and consistent and, and there's a structure there. Yeah. And it was like, and charities can't do that. And, and I began to realize that this other side of my life, which was being in business and, and in investment, was actually what I needed to think about for this two-thirds of the world that, yeah. that had just been getting charity money. And that really was the birth of, of Angelo. It was like so what would need to happen to completely rethink development and, and, and proper opportunities for kids and young people. It has to be about job creation and that has to be about stimulating the small and medium-sized business sector in these kind of frontier nations where there was hardly any economic development going on. And, and there was certainly was no investment coming into these countries um, and I, I knew that from, from my industry that, you know, none of the kind of investment capital ever came into the developing world. The, the normal investment capital circulated in the rich world. And the, the only kind of capital that came across was, was charity capital. And uh, I was like, I've got to it's really, even, really rethink <laughs> yeah. this completely. And, and that was another stage then of kind of going from, you know, thinking that charity was the right solution, just thinking, okay, business is the right solution. And all along this journey, and Ellie, we just made mistakes. When I summarize some of this stuff, it sounds like, you know, maybe we were really smart to figure things out or, you know, think everything we did worked. It, it kind of feels in hindsight that almost nothing we did worked. We were always experimenting and trying to find the right way to do things. But I think typically... You only find things by making mistakes. Exactly. Um, we, we made a lot of mistakes. And particularly when we started Angelo and started to think about business development, we made a lot of mistakes in, in terms of how to do that. And I think where I've got to now is that it's very easy to change 
the, the strategies from being, let's say, aid-led to what we would say now is enterprise-led development. But it's very easy to do it the same way in that, you know, we, we come from the West, we've got all our smart answers, we've got, we figured it out, we've got strategies. We, maybe we've even raised some investment capital to, to help stimulate business. But we come in the same way as West is best. And we come to drive our solutions because we care or because we're arrogant. Or I realized that and this is probably one of the most encouraging things I've seen begin to happen is that the vision for change and transformation in the, the frontier nations needs to be led by frontier nation leaders. The vision needs to be theirs and, and these leaders need to be empowered, fully empowered to, to get on with it. And, and people like us from the West come to serve them and listen and respect and, and disappear at the right time. And so I think now what's, what's critical, and we see this, we have the privilege of working in a lot of different places, that there's a new generation of, I would say, younger leaders emerging who really do have national vision. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't see that before, mostly. And, and part of it was because of the way we in the West handled or managed our, our influence. But now the, the transformation and the vision can and will be driven by national level leaders who have vision and the West needs to recalibrate and rethink how it, it's part in that, in that development. It's quite an important lens to see it through, Mark, because I think also, as you said, it took a lot of a lot of learning from from the mistakes that you have done. But I suppose if you hadn't if you hadn't gone through those those curves, you would have never gotten to where you are now and seen those differences of of being aid led versus enterprise led and and actually understanding the needs of the different communities and how to invest yeah. in that. And and I think yeah, just just off the back of that, I also just wanted to know like in your years of experience, what has been the most eye opening like change and development that you've seen in in a community and or from your shift of being aid-led to, to enterprise-led, what has been like the one thing that stands out for you and be like, yes, this is the difference that we made from, from the mistakes and the learnings that we've, that we've seen to, to the process that we are following now, we can actually see that this is working. What has been the most eye-opening change? You ask good questions, Anneli, there. Pro- probably for, for me, I'll always come back to the most inspiring and eye-opening thing is to see transformation and flourishing in individuals' lives. You know, the, there's, there's, there's amazing strategy and you see all big shifts of trends and all that stuff, but, but ultimately the, to watch what difference these things make in individuals' lives, I think is ultimately the test of do they work or not. And I've, I, I've kind of made it my job to not lose connection with young people in some of the places where we're working so it it, it's easy that the tendency can be to to become very strategic and it's all kind of high level and you go and visit these countries you're sitting in offices having conversations with smart people Um, and and then you lose 
sight of what does this actually look like on the ground mm-hmm. so that if enterprise-led development was happening, well, what, what does that really mean when, you, yeah. when it trickles down into communities? Exactly. What does this mean? And so for me, probably it's never, the driver has never been the excitement of the, of the, the bold new strategies. It's always been, how do I see impact happening in individuals' lives? And so I've stayed very close to some projects um, and, and the people that are actually in those projects. And so the thing that's always the most inspiring is to see that change happening. And I could tell you lots of stories of, of young people that I got to know when they were in, in their mid-teens. I'd, I had the privilege of being a co-founder of a children's home, mm-hmm. basically for young people. We bought a house and set up a project for young women coming from really difficult backgrounds to, to continue their education, get into a job, start a business. And uh, I know all those young people by name and I watch the change that happens in their lives when they complete their education. They have the opportunity to get training, get into employment, start a business. And that's by far the most inspiring stuff in LA to to see what enterprise-led development looks like in in the life of an individual. Um, And they become empowered they, they find dignity, their self-worth rises. They become great parents. You know, they have kids, they get married, they have kids. They, they become great parents. And then the life for their kids is completely different. So mm-hmm. that's the stuff that really excites me the most. I feel very passionate about people with no voice mm. um, having a voice. And I, I realize that the way the world is skewed Potential is equally spread, opportunities not equally spread. And, and part of what happens then is that many people in some parts of the world, they don't have a voice in, mm. in how what happens in their country, in the strategies that other people might have for their country, they don't get a voice. And even in this whole world of enterprise-led development, there's a huge acceleration of, of this and how this is understood. Compared to, you know, when we started Angelo, there's hardly anybody was thinking much about enterprise-led development or impact investing, you know, as, as part of that whole yeah. sector. There wasn't many people thinking like this. Um, now there's a real acceleration of people that are, that are thinking about this, but the, the smart strategies can very often be driven again from the West. And it's very, very difficult for leaders and people in the two thirds of the world that's not the West to have a voice to shape the new global movement. And, and part of what I fear is that the West will try to, again, shape another movement globally. And I think this time around, it has to be entirely different. And we have the privilege of working with some really, really amazing leaders in, you know, a whole variety of countries in the, in the developing world. And I love to see their, their vision, their passion, their enthusiasm, their convening power in their countries. Yeah. And there's, there's now an opportunity, I think, for these leaders to have a voice on the, on the global stage. Um, and I think that one of the things that we and Angelo really care about and want to see happen is that uh, the people who previously haven't had much voice, that, that they get a voice 
and they get to share their vision and to guide much more what, what happens in their countries. And so there's probably something very much in me that, that loves to see the voiceless have mm-hmm. a voice yeah. and to just to shift that power balance into something much more that's about justice and equality. And yeah. I see that starting to happen. And, and as far as we can in Angelo, we're going to really encourage that and, and do what we can to create the platforms and the space for, for amazing uh, frontier nation leaders to, to, uh, to have their voice and, and share their vision. And if we can do that and then disappear um, off, the, off the stage and, uh, and have been part of creating a much more equal approach to these to development, then I think we'll feel quite like we've achieved something. Yeah, because you're empowering them to actually grow their own communities by themselves. Yeah. So yeah, Mark, I really appreciate your your time today and 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 your and your insights into firstly your your career as an enterprise leader as well as yeah, just the just the way you've 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 touched people's lives and see them grow from from a young age in in developing nations to, to people who are actually empowered to be able to take their own futures into their own hands and, yeah. and, and grow that. Um, so it's been for someone who is still a young individual and myself, I find that uh, very encouraging uh, to take that forward as not being someone who serves himself, but how can I serve others as well? Yeah, yeah.